I reflected on, on my own life and saw that for my mom, it was that first job at that Chinese restaurant that helped her earn her first wage in the U.S. and, of course, afford her first apartment and not have to sleep in the backseat of a rental car. And so that first job can have ripple effects on one person's life as well as the lives of future generations. And so for me, that was a really fascinating problem to address. That's Tony Hsu, co-founder of the companies Parker and Break Time. Parker works to empower individuals to achieve financial freedom through fractional real estate investing. And Break Time is a nonprofit that breaks the cycle of young adult homelessness through purposeful transitional employment. In this episode, we talk about problems that strike a chord in your heart, being a hummingbird, and improving by 1% each day. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. You've actually known since you were four years old that you were going to be a founder and have your own business. How did that happen? My mom, who started in the U.S. as someone who didn't have a lot, she moved here without any money, slept in the backseat of her car, worked at a Chinese restaurant to afford her first apartment and to afford to go back to school. When I was four, she bought her first real estate investment, uh, which was an apartment building. And so she had left her job. She was looking to make it on her own. And she brought me along in that journey. And she basically hired me to clean the floors. And I was scrubbing and I wasn't very effective because I was very small. But she taught me how to take care of an investment property. And so I would say I, I didn't know I wanted to be a founder then, but I got my first taste into running a small business. Because of your mom, then some of this mentality was instilled into you at an early age, as you said. And there's a story about you that you told about being busted by your principal because you were selling chips for profit to your fellow students. Is that true? That is true. When I was in middle school, we had a snack bar that charged, I believe, two or three dollars for chips. And I remember thinking that was crazy because I could buy chips at the store for 50 cents and sell it to my fellow classmates for one dollar. And so I remember one day I brought in this massive bag of probably 30 individual chip bags and it sold out within the first few minutes of our lunch period. And I remember the principal finding out and confiscating all of the proceeds <laughs> that I had earned and having a conversation about how it was illegal to sell things at our school. And so I got my first taste into kind of the excitement of solving a problem for my peers, my community, even if it was as small of a problem as expensive chips from the cafeteria snack bar. And I also got my first taste of the challenges it can be, whether it's some sort of higher authority or regulation that can impact entrepreneurship. But I had a lot of fun. And even though it was only one day that I got to do that, I, I learned a lot from that process. How'd you get from managing your mother's real estate by scrubbing the floors, selling chips? What made you decide to go to Harvard? I knew that I wanted to build something. And I didn't exactly know what it was going to be, but I wanted to put myself in a position where I could learn about as many different problems as possible. 
and also be part of a community and institution that would support that type of exploration. And so I heard about all the different entrepreneurs who were at Harvard, were coming out of Harvard. I heard about the innovation lab they have. And I felt like it was a place that was not only close to home, but would enable me to explore. And there's something that you realized too when you were there because Harvard Square was just inundated with homeless people. And you did something about that. Tell us about that. The first thing you notice when you get to Harvard Square beyond the brick buildings and the tall gates are people experiencing homelessness. And I think it is incredibly disheartening when you realize that there are so many resources that this institution has as well as so many resources in the broader community, why is this still such an urgent and pressing challenge? And what was most striking to me was that there were many young people in the area who were also experiencing homelessness. In fact, there was a shelter for young adults experiencing homelessness that was student-run and student-founded. And so I didn't start by thinking, oh, I wanted to create an organization related to homelessness, but I knew this was an issue I cared about. So started volunteering at the shelter after class and just talked to the young people who were staying at the shelter. And what surprised me and what was one of the critical insights we gained was that the young people who were staying at the shelter asked about and inquired about jobs twice as much as they did for housing. But there was clearly this gap in terms of support and helping to obtain a job in the fact that these young people were constantly getting rejected. They wanted to work. They desperately wanted to work, but they had so much stigma around their situation that they they really couldn't obtain that first job. That must have been distressing. Was it the realization that this is a problem that exists and there's not a solution to it right now? When I learned that that was a critical challenge these young people were grappling with, I reflected on, on my own life and saw that for my mom, it was that first job at that Chinese restaurant that helped her earn her first wage in the U.S. and, of course, afford her first apartment and not have to sleep in the backseat of a rental car. And so I began to connect what I was hearing with my own personal journey and saw how that first job can have ripple effects on one person's life, as well as the lives of future generations. And so for me, that was a really fascinating problem to address. And what we did, me and my co-founder, Connor, what we did was just talk to all of the other organizations who were supporting young adults experiencing homelessness and asked what they were doing around jobs. And there were some great organizations who were also thinking about and working on these issues. But we saw that there was still a critical, critical and largely unaddressed need that was still there. And so we didn't start by thinking we were going to start an organization, but we started by saying, we want to learn more about this issue. We want to dive deeper and see what potential is out there. That's what it takes. It takes people that actually care about stuff to find out. And then in whatever way possible, even if it's one step at a time, do something about it. You felt a calling to create something larger and you wanted to create something that would have a widespread impact. And so mission obviously plays a big role in that. And you've said that you can't separate what you're building from why you're building. So the sense of purpose. Tell the audience about that. Having a sense of purpose rooted in helping people is absolutely the most important thing for me. 
I think when I was in school, I saw a lot of people who I would call entrepreneurs. These are people who wanted to become entrepreneurs just for the sake of being an entrepreneur and starting a company. And I think that's a great starting point. But what's more important is what are the problems that really strike a chord in your heart? And for me, in actually meeting and speaking with those young adults experiencing homelessness, that felt different in terms of a problem that I could see was causing a lot of pain and a problem that piqued my curiosity in many ways. And so what we've done at break time is always keep that mission front and center. And for me personally, every day I wake up, I I have photos of the young people who work at break time and the young people who break time has supported. I have photos on my wall because it's always a helpful reminder of centering people. And even when an organization grows or you're working really hard and constantly in spreadsheets or in meetings or doing emails, you can't forget that at the end of the day, it's all about the people you're helping. And that helps me stay motivated and excited about whatever we're doing. Your mom must be very proud. Hopefully. (laughs) I I love my mom very much. And And does she remind you of who you are, what you do, and why you matter? She's the type of person who will support you by showing up and by being there for you and by showing you that your voice matters. And for me growing up, she always included me in her business meetings. I remember there were many meetings that she brought me to where it was probably embarrassing to have a small child sitting there next to you. But she would always joke that, you know, I was her business advisor. And she would always say, she would always crack that joke and and everybody would kind of just accept that I was there at this very important business meeting, just listening and sometimes even getting to share my own thoughts. And so that that was what played a huge role in inspiring me to know that my voice does matter. Now, also, you've made the transition to become a board member of your first company, Break Time, so you could explore new ideas. And your co-founder gave you the confidence to make that move. So what happened with that transition? And tell us a little bit about how you got to that particular point. About three years into building Break Time, the organization was growing really rapidly. I had just graduated and I wanted to explore things beyond Boston. I knew I was interested in housing. I knew I deeply cared about the mission Break Time was engaging in. But I also knew that as a young person, I wanted to make sure that I had the ability to explore new topics, new geographies, new ideas, new people, because that makes me a better entrepreneur and creator over the long run. And so I actually applied for a study abroad program, a master's program that was in China. I actually spent the past year living in Beijing during covid which was a very unique experience and got to see another side of the world as well as another side of myself and my family's heritage that I had never seen before. And simultaneously, I also got to explore issues ranging from nuclear arms to climate change to global poverty to urbanization and housing. And as someone interested in housing, I got to explore so many new aspects of housing that I didn't know about because I was so focused on the subject of homelessness and youth development and workforce development. I was once told by a mentor, it's okay to be like a hummingbird. A hummingbird travels between flowers, trying the nectar, 
from each flower. And in that process, they're also cross-pollinating. It's just a reminder that especially when you're young, and even if you're not young, it's really important to continue exploring and following that curiosity. And so I feel very grateful for that, to have had that chance. But I also feel incredibly grateful for my co-founder at Break Time and our entire team. Because when I made the decision to continue my education, I looked at our team, talked to our co-founder, and just had this sense of confidence in them. I had complete faith and trust that even if I wasn't involved day-to-day anymore, there were still great people around us who would carry the torch forward. Co-founders, they do need to have a level of trust and respect that you don't find that often. But for sure, you have to have it in that kind of relationship. One of the things that you have talked about and one of the premises we have that the sign of a leader is that you always stay a student. You believe that as well, don't you? I notice even in my own journey how it's so easy to fall into associating your identity with your experience or what you've built and just think, oh, I am this person. And it's easy to have that like one liner of, oh, I'm the person who likes to do X, or I am the person who built Y. When in reality, that's really restricting because that is not all that who we are. There is so much more that makes up ourselves right now, but there's also so much more that we can potentially grow into and evolve into. And it does take the discipline you're talking about to check yourself and to surround yourself with other people who are also interested in growing and trying new things and learning new things. Sometimes people will make fun of you too for staying a student or really wanting to know what is going on. That's okay. Just like being a founder is a little bit lonely because all of the responsibility is on you. It certainly is not boring at the very least and keeps you connected to purpose. That reminds me of the fact that being a young student gives us the leeway to say, I don't know, and to ask for help. And there are so many times as a college student where I played the student card. I reached out to somebody and said, hey, I'm a student. I'm interested in what you're working on. I don't have a lot of experience, but would love to learn. Are you available to have a coffee chat or to have a phone call? And it was shocking how many people said, yes, I'd love to share my experience. And it's so funny because as soon as I graduated, that disappeared. I email people, I say, I'd love to learn about what you're working on and often don't hear back. And so I think there's a responsibility for all of us to recognize that even if we graduate from school and art students, there's still opportunity for everyone to learn and say, I don't know, and to try new things. But also there's a responsibility for younger students to take advantage of this incredible opportunity they have to gain access to anything they're curious about. And so I'm really glad that someone told me to play that student card when I was in college. And I'm glad that I had the chance to just send out emails and connect with some pretty incredible and inspiring people who really shaped my work. The difference between being a student and then being a founder is you're the leader now. You're the one that's been through the experience, right? So it's just an adjustment in how you do it. So now let's talk about that person sitting out there. What advice would you give to them? 
My advice to any young founders or future founders listening is to just get started and to not be afraid of starting with something really small. There is this misconception that all founders have to have this incredibly grand vision and know exactly how they're going to get there. But from my experience and the experience of many other founders, the road is very windy. And what you work on at the beginning may look very, very different from what you work on at the end. And so you shouldn't let having that perfect vision in mind prevent you from just taking the first step. And I think that first step is really starting with identifying a critical problem. Your first solution can be really, really small. It can really just help one person. And so for break time, we had many, many different pilots that we did. One of them was just hiring two people from the youth shelter that we were working at. And we basically purchased pre-made baked goods and hired those young people to deliver those goods to different events or conferences. And so it didn't really make sense from a business perspective because we were just buying somebody else's goods to then deliver to these events, but enabled us to learn what does it take to hire and support someone who's experiencing homelessness? What are their needs? What are they interested in doing? And even though that didn't end up being a venture or an organization, that was the first thing that taught us what we eventually needed to know to build an organization. And so again, just starting small is totally okay. You can think about every day as one link or one even like paperclip in, in a long chain, right? And it's important to be consistent each and every day to push the ball forward. But it's also important to remind yourself that each day you don't have to change the world. If you just make a 1% improvement each day, after 72 days, that 1% compounds and it's 100%. I often overestimate what you can do in one day and underestimate what you can do over the course of a year or two years or three years. And so that's something I always remind myself of at the end of the day, just to say, you know, you did a great job. You've done enough today. And I think that's what a lot of founders need to hear. That was Tony Shu, co-founder of both Parker and Break Time. Parker gives people a path to financial freedom through fractional real estate investing. And Break Time works to break the cycle of homelessness by supporting young adults with transitional employment. You can learn more at investparker.com and breaktime.org. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Series producer is Mike Sullivan. Sound design by Mark Green. Content and scripting by Jacelyn Drown and Catherine Hardy. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena Persiani-Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barrett.